This special episode of I Save That Podcast is made possible by support from Timer Tags. Timer Tags are a simple solution to drive device compliance in IV access. Whether it's scheduled catheter assessments, dressing changes, or line filter changes. For more information, visit www.timertag.com. GE Healthcare recognizes the importance of ultrasound-guided vascular access and its widespread use across many different hospital departments and settings. At GE, we recognize that clinicians encounter a variety of patients with a wide variety of problems. They also have a wide variety of users and a wide variety of risks and often a limited amount of time to manage and treat their patients in critical settings. For more information, please visit www.gehealthcare.com. Welcome to the Season 2 debut episode of the I Save That Podcast. Hello. Good day. This is uh, Ramsey Nasrallah. I'm joined with Judy Thompson Hi guys. in San Diego and Eric Sager in Ohio. Hello. Those are two American places. But we're also joined with Claire Ricard, professor of nursing specializing in vascular access at Griffith University in Brisbane. We've got Nicole Marsh, research fellow with a joint appointment at Griffith and Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Jillian Ray Barul, senior research fellow, joint appointment, Avatar Group at the School of Nursing at Griffith and Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Hospital in Brisbane. And Amanda Ullman, senior research fellow. Thank you for joining us on the episode dedicated to your country. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks. The, uh, the whole genesis of, of this idea, the podcast, is it, it's, it's started to reach you know, all points of the, of the globe. And one of your colleagues, Andrew Bulmer, reached out and said it would be very interesting and potentially of great utility to the vascular access community to hear about all the great work that's being done out of Australia to advance vascular access. And now here we are. So thank you for entertaining us. Can you tell, uh, we, we have, a, I'm sure our audience is going to, as usual, be a, a, a global uh, mix, but can you for those who aren't familiar for some reason, familiar with the Avatar group, with the Australian story, uh, start with Claire. Can you give us some history uh, to Avatar, the goals, history development, just so people know exactly just why uh, it's such a, an important part of the Vascular Access Global Consortium? Thanks. Uh, I guess we really try to just connect people, um, people that are not just interested in vascular access, but I guess they have that uh, research slant on it. They're trying to test new ideas. Um Usually in one hospital or one university, there may only be one person with those very niche interests. So, yeah. um, and, and that can be kind of a lonely place to be, uh, pretty tough. So, yeah, I guess uh, our basic goal is to kind of connect those people and then maybe together we can, you know, achieve more than the sum of the parts. And so when did you get started in connecting? Uh, everyone, you've been around 10 years at Griffith now? Yeah, we we more formally set up then. I guess I'd been working in um, research and in uh, my own vascular access research for some years before that. I was uh, an intensive care nurse, so uh, I had plenty of chance to see the differences in different policies for the same procedure that were happening even between different wards or different hospitals. And, you know, that always intrigued me. I was always curious. Um, I guess when I moved back to Queensland and I started working again with Professor Joan Webster, who's a a very uh, world-famous nursing researcher uh, from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital, and we started working on the whole idea of clinically indicated versus routine uh, removal of peripheral catheters, and we're fortunate enough to get a very um, large research grant from our national government and uh, that's when I guess the group really expanded. That's when um, Nicole joined joined yes. us. Nicole and I were there way back then, two thousand running that trial. Yeah, two thousand and seven was it? Yeah, that's right. Nicole has the memory capacity um, of a very large system. My policy is more kind of forget the past and you know, like what what exciting thing can I do tomorrow? So between the two of us, we often can uh, remember the whole story. Um, so I guess, yeah, initially it was a smaller group. We actually had a very boring name then, which I'm kind of embarrassed, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, we were called the IVD Research Group, so oh. Intravascular Device Research Group. Which we were very small. Very this was small. in the pre-acronym wow. era of Avatar. I was about to say that is the best segue ever because I was about <laughs> to, to, one, throw a compliment that your group 
has the best acronyms for every one of your research projects of any research I've seen anywhere in the world. To come up with a good it is a lot of pressure and we did have one one of our hospital ethics committees tell us we have to stop using like positive sounding names because they thought that might be kind of you know overly encouraging people to sign up to participate in the trials if it was called something like smile or <laughs> IV will be better trial or something like that isn't it prohibitive though like to try to get people to sign up for like the death wagon clinical study <laughs> yes wow. we, um, Really, uh, Gillian Ray Brule thought up a lot of our early trial names, mm. um, which were very successful. Not always happy with them, though. <laughs> no, there were a few shockers. Hey. One of our trials she actually called RSVP, which is a dating service in Australia. So it was very. <laughs> That's hilarious. Get past people's laughing when I was uh, talking about the, the, the trial. RSVP. Yeah, that's a completely different kind of access. Yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> I have to um, say, though, as, as a non-clinical stakeholder in vascular access, branding is really important. That's how, it, It's not just the quality of the data. It's how, how sticky is it in people's memory. Um, and from, I mean, that's something that's always been, it's not been lost on me since I've, I've been aware of the avatar groups. So. Definitely. I want to give you the attaboy and attagirls on those because as a clinician, I love them. And I look forward to seeing what your next trial or product is going to be. So keep up the great naming. And I think that is something that we learned from industry, which I think a lot of academic groups never thought about. But because we were, um, you know, coming to AVA and and engaging with so many companies and we saw how, you know, beautifully they would um, put out their uh, marketing campaigns and brochures, like kind of reinforced to us how important it is to give people sort of something to um, be attractive, something to be catchy, um, you know, make them laugh a little bit, make them smile. So mm-hmm. uh, then, of course, Peter Carr came along. Um, he moved to Australia from Ireland and he was very um, aware of social media and so on and he really um, was he was the one who came up with the name Avatar for the group. And at first, like everyone else, I was like, that's a movie. Like we can't call it. <laughs> You know, we're not blue people. No. In fact, in Australia, we're we're very burnt and freckled and sunburned and, you know, (laughs) we're not blue at all. The opposite. We're red or, or, you know, burnt to a crisp. But um, And originally Avatar was Australian Vascular Access Teaching and Research Group, but then very rapidly we started working, you know, all over the world and, and so that name didn't really, it was a bit prohibitive, you know, like people were like, oh, do you only, are you only interested in Australia? And we were like, well, no, we, we're really interested in improving practice and connecting people all over the world. So um, then we thought of Alliance. So we've managed to stick with that now for, I don't know, six, seven years now. Um so, yeah, I think uh, we're happy with it. We feel it gives us a sense of community and an umbrella to come under, um, even though individual researchers, you know, often go off and have um, their own other interests or their own um, slant on vascular access. But I think yeah. it is important to have a unifying logo and a unifying um, website and so on. And, and a hub with, with, with great history. Uh, it's just been so impactful as someone who's here at AVA. Avatar Group feels like it's it's part of Ava. It's an indispensable part of vascular access, and we don't really operate here uh, on the assumption of country borders or um, or organizational boundaries. So Avatar has been just invaluable to to what we've been trying to advance with vascular access as, as part of Ava. Let me ask you: that's you give us a nice glimpse into the the history and the genesis of the Avatar Group. What what are some of the current clinical trials and, and recent publications that? you've been putting out? Um, Well, I think recently my focus has been around um, preventing peripheral catheter failure. So um, I've recently had a paper published where I've looked at comparing the generalist inserting peripheral catheters with a vascular access specialist. And Claire was able to present these results at AVA. Really, really very interesting. We actually found that um, for catheters that had been um, referred or were in the uh, generalist group, 25% of them still hadn't been placed at 24 hours. Whereas all the catheters were replaced by the vascular access specialist. So we feel that there's a lot more work to do in this area. So we'll um, use the results of, you know, this pilot trial to expand to a larger trial. I've also just um, received funding for a midline versus peripheral catheter trial. So um, looking forward to starting that in the new year. 
apart from that, we I've also um, just recently we've had a paper published um, looking at uh, integrated securement dressing compared to our standard care. Once again, it was a pilot trial, so um, we we had promising results, um, but it wasn't you know statistically significant. So we'll go on and have a look at that in a in a larger um, in a larger trial. Yeah, I mean, that's our general approach because, you know, getting funding is tough. And so it's very unusual that you can get, you know, a million bucks to do, you know, a very large trial and, and really prove something. So it's um, been a successful strategy um, of ours over the years to do these sort of smaller, like 100 patient, 200 patient uh, pilot trials. Um and then because we've done those and published them, then it's far more likely that the government feels safe, giving safe and secure in their little beds at night, giving us a lot of money to do <laughs> trial. Um, but I guess we normally have, like, it sounds crazy, but we normally have about 80, like eight zero yeah. research projects going in Avatar at any one time. We, we used to keep a list, didn't we, Nicole? It got too big. It was hard to maintain that list. So we had... yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really... Um, you know, and especially now we also have a lot of large databases where we're able to now do some secondary analysis. Um, you know, like Amanda's just pulled all the data about skin integrity, skin complications associated with vascular access devices. Um, has that been accepted yet, Amanda, or is that still? Yeah. No, it's been accepted so they'll be coming out in International Journal of Nursing Study. So we were able to get all of our previous large data sets together and look to see what were the clinical, so what are the, associations um, between the patient, the device, um, and the clinician that may impact on that patient developing um, around their line site. So that's um, been great to understand. The uh, So these are normally trials that um, uh, we would only include them if their skin was okay when we recruited them, and then we were looking to see how their skin developed complications, you know, during the trial. And it's been really interesting to see the, you know, the actual, you know, what lies beneath. So we keep ignoring these skin complications because it's just one or two we see occasionally. But, you know, we're really able to demonstrate that there's a really big problem here. So that's really informed lots of future works on um, uh, looking at how to promote that skin integrity over time. I mean, is that tied into the registry work you've done, the Uber registry, with the, the relationship between the patient, the device, and the clinician? Or is that separate? Yeah. Uh, well, everything in Avatar is tied together, I'm afraid. So, um, you know, the, we use a similar model of uh, in, a spirit of inquiry where we look at all of those different associations and how they um, result in a clinical outcome with the device and for the patient. So um, we do try to use consistency in the definitions that we use um, and the characteristics which we're collecting so that we're able to do those large data sets, you know, related um, future uh, inquiries. So um, it's all related. You will see so many common threads throughout each of our projects. Um, and it's a real strength um, when it comes to, you know, if we want to look back and retrospect five years ago, how were we doing then in comparison to now? We, we have that ability to answer those questions, um, which is just, it's and it's because of the hard work that was done right from the beginning with setting up our early clinical trials. And I say we, but really it was a lot of the work done with um, Nicole's expert project management skills with a lot of these things that we're able to look back so confidently. I know we in the States, we look forward to everything, what you publish and, and many of us don't know how to get going on research. Like someone listening right now might have a great idea. What would you suggest for someone out there that has an idea for research, but just doesn't know how to get going on it? What I've found is that uh, the best thing to do is a start small. Uh, look at to try to collect some baseline data so you know what your problem actually is. A lot of times people think they have they might have a problem in a certain area, but if you actually go and have a look and get some data, it might be a different problem than you thought you had. Um, I'll give you an example with the OMG study, the One Million Global Catheters study. We had um, so many nurses get back to us after the study and say that they hadn't realised what their problems actually were. So they thought the catheters were probably staying in too long. They might have had a three-day removal policy and they thought, no, people aren't getting the catheters out. But what they actually found when they went and had a look is that catheters weren't even lasting three days or the dressings were really shabby and 
you know, catheters were at risk for dislodging or something. But they didn't know that sort of thing until they actually went and had a look at what they had. So I say start small, um, have a simple defined problem. What are you going to look for? And the best advice I ever got was go and find a mentor. Find somebody who, you know, can help you along the way, give you some advice on how to um, run your project. It doesn't need to be a great big randomised control trial to get started. Sorry, Claire, but... (laughs) (laughs) I I know, I'm not too well, it's not easy. (laughs) You know, that terrifies some people, especially me. So I think start small and start with simple studies that, you know, you can that are achievable with a simple question and get some get some buy-in, get some get your leaders um, to support you, get a manager or a librarian or somebody who wants to get on board and help you tackle the question. So yeah, start small, think, get involved. Yeah, and your mentor doesn't have to be in. Um, sorry, I'm cut you off there. <laughs> vascular right. access. No, I mean, if you if there's a local um, active researcher in any, you know. Um, topic you know they'll have the lowdown on how you get approval you know to make sure that if you do your audit you are allowed to publish that data because of course the data we have access to every day as clinicians we're not actually allowed to then go and publish that um, unless we've had the you know local approvals either institutional in some cases or full you know ethics committee in in others. Well, at the, at the Royal Brisbane, we're really fortunate because we have had Joan Webster with us for so long um, that we have a really wonderful mentoring program. So we have nurses that come from the bedside that have questions that are really interesting and relevant for them, and we help them to be able to, um, you know, explore that question further, whether it's um, really, as Gillian said, just simply understanding what question that they're trying to, to ask. Um, and and how they can progress that. So hopefully there are some other um, hospitals out there that would have similar people, as Claire was saying, that would be able to support that process. I think that's great advice. And I'm sure there's people listening right now that are grateful for it. So thank you. So Amanda, one last thing before we call it a day here. Well, call it an evening for us, call it a day for you. Right, they're they're having lunch now. Oh, it's lunch time. So so are, are there any little upcoming secrets you can give us a little heads up on there's not much of a secret if you tell us here but <laughs> what's what's coming up from avatar you know everybody in the state when they come to ava we always look forward to what avatar is going to present yeah there's we have so many projects hidden away and uh we can't wait to share each of them i think i've already hidden hinted once before we have a big project that we're going to be launching uh, next year that I can't tell you anything about because of funding rules. But um, obviously uh, we're doing a lot of work now on the appropriate selection of devices. So people know about the work we're doing on Mini Magic. Most of you know that we've been working with Benit to be able to provide that context within the paediatric environment. And that's taking a lot of my personal focus as well as a lot of the other avatarians. But we're also looking to build that evidence bank. So, you know, midline catheters are then, you know, the new, that's what's hot right now, isn't it? Long peripheral IVs. Um, so what we've been doing is developing a lot of RCTs that have direct that are directly comparing peripheral IVs with midlines and then PICs with midlines to see which population for which clinical indication are midlines best suited. Um, because a lot of the recommendations that we put into our guidelines, whether they're MAGIC, whether they're Gavacel, whether whether they're INS, are based on observational studies that aren't directly comparing the same clinical population. So we have a really big cohort of studies, um, all high-quality trial um, methods um, that will add to that evidence base. So we're doing these studies in paediatrics for kids with cystic fibrosis, we're doing them for patients um, undergoing, you know, bigger surgical procedures that are going to need, you know, IV therapy for slightly longer than what you would normally want a peripheral IV in, but, you know, don't be not sure you really want to escalate it to a PIC. So they're the type of populations we're working in. Those, you know, infectious disease patients that, again, they're on those borderlines between should we use a PIC, should we use peripheral, or will it be the, mid, you know, the new midline technology? So, that's a real big focus for us over the next few years. Um, and then we have, we're still doing a lot of work with central line and preventing occlusion associated with central line. So whether that's a pick or another type of tunneled or 
um, totally implanted device. So we've been working with, you know, using the evidence base that has already been developed um, on helping nurses better identify occlusive events and then escalate and treat them early, um, as well as looking at what of the, you know, preventative techniques um, are actually most effective. We have an RCT that will directly compare heparin to saline to prevent uh, as locks, you know, for our central lines. We're doing that in, in oncology. Um, so that's the first time that's been compared properly in quite a long time. We're looking at different catheter materials to prevent occlusion and we're looking at different flushing re regimes. Um, so I'd say that they're two areas that we're really focusing on a lot um, and we can't wait to share that data with you. I think, you know, we've become really well known for our work on securement and, and we're continuing to work on that, but, you know, we are spreading our wings a little bit with some of these other research questions as well. So um, we don't like to leave you hanging, but we have to <laughs> with some of it. But um, Fair enough. the important thing is, yeah, each but each of these projects, like we keep saying, we want you guys involved. We want Ava, the Ava community involved. Um, uh, so if you want to do these type of projects, you we can help you set up these projects within your own hospitals. We can help you um, replicate this work or build on the project that we that we you know we have going. Um, we have the ability to mentor uh, as well as train. So. Um, and also, you know, finding that local talent like the other guys were talking about just before. So that's kind of the what's next for us. Um, but we also really never know. What I'd love to do is understand more about how to, um, you know, we've seen a lot now about the, the lines that are removed on suspicion of infection, but then they never get an infection. So I think there's, mm -hmm. I think that's in the background of all of our minds now, isn't it? That, you know, the picks that are removed because maybe they've got an infection, but really they've just got a slight fever related to their UTI. So right. I think that will be a cohort coming up as well. I can't wait to get into that, but I need to, you know, talk to my infectious diseases friends to really nut that one out. I can't wait to hear about all of the stuff you guys are doing. So thank you so much. This has been so much fun mm. talking to you guys. Yeah. Oh, so that's great. And it's, you know, what's really fun for me is that there are over a hundred members of Avatar and I get to take credit for all of their work during this podcast. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So thank you to me. Yes, I'm amazing. Yeah. No. <laughs> thank agree. you, agree. Agree. Thank you to the hundred members. Amanda Ullman. But also Clara Card, Nicole Marsh, and Julian Raberul for joining us today uh, on the Australia episode of the podcast. Thank you, ladies. Great. Thanks Thank for you. Having Thank you. tags help nurses comply with IV dressing changes either when clinically indicated or at seven days, whichever comes first. You can end hospital-wide program changes on particular days of the week and only change dressings when required. Timer tags work with any IV access device and are available with set review times of 8 hours, 12 hours, or 24 hours. We can also supply the Avatar Group I Decided decision-making tool to place next to the timer tag or use your own custom protocol. They can also help busy nurses comply with important IV line filter changes. Timer tags are available for 48-hour changes of 0.2 micron filters and 24-hour changes of 1.2 micron lipid filters. For more information, visit www.timertag.com. We are back. I'm with Judy and Merrick. This is Ramsey, and we are now joined by Amanda Ullman, Senior Research Fellow at Griffith University in Brisbane, Australia, and Andrew Bulmer, Associate Professor at Griffith University. Friends, how are you doing? Fantastic. How are you, Ramsey? I'm pretty good. Judy, Eric? Doing great. Doing great. Can't so complain much. at all. Fun talking to our sister city folks in Australia. Except we're in summer, so we win, right? You do win. <laughs> But we're in San Diego, and yeah. we don't... Yeah, I'm, not, I'm in Ohio. It's a one-season town in San Diego. Yeah, pretty much yeah. 70 year-round. I think we're in 68-degree well, weather right now. Well, you're talking in Fahrenheit. We're on the front of Australians. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what it is in Celsius. You subtract 30, so 38. It's, it's uh, 19 degrees here, Australians. That's freezing. That's freezing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I agree. I, that's what I told you today. Oh, that's right. right. Amanda's always cold. 
That's what I, think. Uh, I haven't uh, seen 50 degrees all day. I don't think actually I think it rose to past 40 degrees. That's Fahrenheit. So I'm thinking around, you know, five to 10 degrees Celsius. That, that's ridiculous. That's we, we will do the, we'll do the metric inches and Celsius Fahrenheit episode some other time. But for now, uh, we are talking about, uh, well, let's, let's talk about this now. Colloquialisms, language. We both share this, uh, this language, English, that neither, neither one of us, our countries are responsible for. What are some colloquialisms that are commonplace uh, in Australia that the American listeners not, might not be familiar with? Well, I think, you know, it's a good question to ask, particularly at this time of year, because it, it's an absolute stinker here, mate. It's an absolute <laughs> And by that, I mean, you know, it's 100 degrees plus. Actually, it's 100 degrees plus uh, on the weekend. And, and you know, when uh, when it gets that hot, you know, you ooze sweat. And uh, when that stuff dries off, it it, uh, it leaves a, a harmful residue on, on your nasal on your nasal cavity. <laughs> so, uh, it's been an absolute stinker. And then uh, at some stage, I guess we'll have to get the brolly out, which is um, which is an umbrella, you know, when the, when the rains come. Because in Australia in summertime, uh, you know, it's typically our wet season. Uh, so I'll need to get the, the get the get the brolly out, and you know, and if the sun does stay out, well, we might even crack out the budgie smugglers. The, the budgie smugglers <laughs> are basically a delightful pair of uh, yeah, very small um, male swimming speedos. Uh, budgie is a small a small bird like a canary. Uh, a smuggler, you can probably uh, appreciate uh, <laughs> uh, what's going on there. Trying to hide those away, and and I, I guess I'll, I'll just pull out one. I'll probably pull out one more. Um, you know, when it gets hot, people start behaving a, a bit strange, and you might see a few drongos out there. Uh, drongos are, are fools, basically. They're, um, you know, the use of the right. word in a sentence might be, "Don't be a drongo, mate. Stop being such an idiot." Um, so, you know, that's uh, that's another thing to look out for. Um, and finally, uh, I should mention that you know, when it when it's so hot, we do like to get out a, a frothy. And uh, a, a frothy is is an ice cold beer. So um, look out for the occasional frothy in summertime yeah the only frothy we don't have in australia that no one drinks is fosters we keep that only for americans oh so you're telling me that the tv has been lying to me forever yeah sorry yeah. guys that was right. my first trip to australia i saw that fosters is basically a rumor in australia no one no one drinks if you're drinking fosters mate you're dreaming you're dreaming <laughs> that's another I, one so you're in fairyland somewhere you're in where fairyland Fairyland. Fairyland. Yeah, that's, so um, dreaming. Okay, you're dreaming, mate. I, I um, like the nickname for beer is longer than the word beer. It's a frothy. <laughs> and and that and that brella, is it brelly or brella? Brelly. 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 That also sounds like a drinking buddy. I'm seeing a theme with some. <laughs> and I mean, the other thing is, you know, we've got some shortened names out there. So there's Wazza, which is short for Warren, and uh, Shazza, which is short for Sharon. So. You know, if you if you're in Australia and you you come across someone, there's absolutely no reason why you can't just put an A on the end of their name or an O maybe uh, and just shorten it down. And, and and that's that's true blue, mate. That that's Ocker right there. That's Australian. So do so do Andrew. What would your nickname be? Oh, I'd be Ando, mate. That's what it would be, Ando. Ando. I have that. I was going to say that. Yeah, I would get that. I would get that. And Ramsey would be Ramza. Ramo. 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 <laughs> Ramo. <laughs> Every iteration I've been called by Australians or, or otherwise. The um, so this is fun. Let's let's talk a little uh, vascular access. What do you guys say? Okay, why not? While we're here, yeah. What's going on right now? With let's talk registry. That's been a big topic uh, at Ava and, and throughout the states. Like without data, you're basically got ideas uh, and, and wishes. What what's some of the work that you've been doing with with the registry down at Griffith? Yeah, so uh, so Avatar has been interested in uh, registries before we were Avatar. So um, there's been, all, like many of you in the US, we've had lots of local hospital registries going on forever and ever with this data that's been sitting there and really not u- not being used to inform practice necessarily or only CLABSI-based data without looking at all the other questions. So um, a few years ago now, we all started to put our thinking caps on about how we should uh, uh uh, develop the Uber registry. So the idea of a registry that could um, be used by everybody every day to inform practice, you know, um, in a nimble way so that you could, you know, continuously reflect. So the first work that we've really been doing is to work on the minimum data set. So the idea of what is 
the what is the information that we need in our registry what's the language that we need to use what are the core definitions that need to be used so it's useful for everyone everywhere um, and so we've done that by undertaking literature reviews and lots of um, interviews with clever clever people some of whom are probably listening here today and we really started to get our head around that um, the other thing that gave us a lot of great early work was the OMD study, which most of you guys have heard about. So that was that international point prevalence study looking at peripheral IV catheters. And that helped us understand more about the everyday users of peripheral IVs and the people who are engaged and interested that don't have a research hat on. So we were able to you know, better understand how we should collect this data, um, you know, how to keep it simple um, and also we started to understand the idea that this is data that you know every IT guy keeps telling us that we should be able to suck it off the system, but um, you know our, our ama amazing EMR systems. But realistically, the power is in the people. So if we can get some really great tools in the form of an app or equivalent to the hands of the vascular access specialists or the bedside nurses or the quality and safety person for the hospital, we can quite easily get that data going now. We get to stop waiting for IT and start going with the, you know, giving giving that data back really quickly. So that's kind of what's working on in the background. Um, lots of mini projects that are happening to inform this Uber registry, but um, yeah, and we're still arguing arguing over an acronym. Um, so, you know, cause that's the most important part of Avatar is to know Right, you're so good at acronyms. Yeah. You guys are yeah. the best yeah. at acronyms. Yeah. I, I have a question about the, the front end. So when you, when you talk about the Uber registry, uh, where have you landed with regard to standardized language for, say, like a central catheter, a peripheral catheter, a PIVC? I, I, I see all these different terms used interchangeably. Those of us who speak in vascular access know what, what they all mean, but there's landing on one uniform term for each type of cannula. Have, have you done that already? No, we're still really working our way through that. And what we need to, to stop doing is talking to ourselves. I think we really keep talking to vascular access specialists about vascular access, but right. the language we need needs the simplicity of the everyday user. So um, sometimes what we think we should be able to call things isn't what is actually going to be um, feasible in this type of registry. Like, so there's a long game here, isn't there, where we want every clinician to understand our language. But for now, we need to design something where, where they meet in the middle. So that's where we're try that's kind of where we're focusing on is providing language that's understandable by everybody rather than perfect, a perfect description of everything. So we'll have some core definitions as part of um, every da data point. Um, uh, and that's what we've been working on. And we've been looking on con at, you know, agreement rather than consensus. You know, I know that sounds like slicing the pie a little bit, but you know, you need to get something that everybody says, yeah, okay, that's okay. You don't need everyone to say, yeah, we've nailed it this time. Cause I just don't think we're there yet with the evidence base to really nail it completely. Right. But it's, it's a start, right? Getting, starting to collect yeah. all the data that's generated every day that gets lost yeah. in the atmosphere. And this nomenclature, yeah. it's so much harder than it sounds like it should be. Right. It's so oh, much yeah. harder. Especially since habits. Yeah. I've been saying PIBC for 15 years. You need to right. stop saying that. So true. And that's also not a primitive layman term to your point about. It's my IV, yeah. but every, everything's an IV. Could be primary. But so um, let's change subjects a little bit and talk about X Labs and the NHMRC uh, projects. Should I kick off, Amanda? Yeah, go for it. Go about X Labs. It's awesome. X Labs sounds. It sounds awesome. It does. That's exciting, doesn't it? Sounds well, like um, space labs. <laughs> Making superheroes in X Labs. It's an, like this X -Labs. is a NASA of Avatar, can I say? It's bloody fantastic. Wait, it's underfunded? Did, did I tell you that <laughs> Elon Musk has actually invested? So, no, he hasn't. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, basically X Labs is is uh, an acronym for Experimental Laboratory Science, and it's um, a group within Avatar, obviously that that really aims to conduct preclinical human uh, research uh, in controlled environments. So, for example, we conduct these human trials within uh, a clinical trials unit here on the on the Gold Coast of Griffith University. And what we do is we bring uh, members of the public in um, to the lab and um, the, the goal of the group and, and when the participants are there and why they're uh, participating is basically to, to understand the why and how of vascular access failure. Uh, or vascular access device failure. So, so the the group is really um, taking a very scientific, very deep um, approach, deep understanding approach to why um, vascular access devices fail. And, and predominantly, we investigate PIVCs, but we we can also 
look at midlines, for example, uh, within this experimental model. Um, so yeah, it's basically getting individuals who, who I wouldn't say are necessarily healthy. They can be between the ages of 65 and 18. Um, we try to replicate as closely as we can uh, patients that you might find in a hospital environment. We bring them in and we perform bilateral cephalic vein cannulation, lower arm, uh, if it's a PIVC. So we put a PIVC in the left and the right arm. And, and basically then it's up to us to, to change um, some parameter to understand what impact that parameter has. And a good one might be cannula to vein ratio. So we might put a, a bigger uh, cannula in the left arm cephalic vein and a smaller catheter in the right arm cephalic vein. Um, so yeah, so basically we we bring the participants in, we cannulate them, and basically then it's up to us to determine or to measure various parameters within that individual over time to determine what impact, in this case, a, a, an increased catheter to vein ratio might have on on occlusion. Yeah, do you want me to give you like a you know if you've got any questions about about that or any? You um, never ask questions. Uh, about an approach or something that so, we might like to investigate? There's so many things. So I have one that I have been dying to know the answer on. Um, we've been advocating, this might not even be in the realm of what we're talking about, but we've been advocating for the last few years on a no-nick insertion. And that comes without research. There's no evidence-based research I've found that, that says, hey, we've looked at the data, and the data says if you make a nick prior to dilating, then you're going to introduce more bacteria versus having sometimes a traumatic dilation. Have you ever looked at that or considered it? So, sorry, I, I perhaps didn't quite get the uh, the terminology, but it's basically the use of a, of a dilator versus notch, is that right, over a wire or something like that? So it would be the use of a scalpel to making a small incision right over the wire before you wow. use the dilator or not using yeah. a scalpel to make that. Yeah, right. Connect. And doing a blunt dilation through the tissue. It's an American colloquialism, the neck. The neck. The neck. A neck. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's quite invasive. Um, uh, from <laughs> our we've, we've just started, we've just started with, um, with PIVC insertion. Although it's uh, not required to be performed sterile, we, we actually perform them um, very close to sterile, an ANTT approach um, to PIVC insertion. Um, so we haven't looked at the impacts that, for example, dilation of a, of a vein might have on the vascular response. And we're primarily, pr primarily interested in the blood and vascular response to, cannula to cannulation. But what I can tell you is that, you know, through these trials that we do, we, we learn a lot about blood and blood vessels and the failure of these devices. And just putting in a standard 20-gauge um, catheter uh, into uh, our participants, we see um, spontaneous vasospasm uh, of the local vein in about 30 to 40% of those individuals just because of the insertion. And, and that vasospasm can last anywhere from about 15 to 30 minutes. And using ultrasound, that's how we assess um, vasospasm uh, changes in blood flow and thrombosis. Uh, you can track that non-invasively using ultrasound. And, and, you know, and we've tried very hard to get some, some great ultrasound equipment um, to give us the best and highest resolution images of these catheters, which you can see inside veins, uh, and what's happening there. So in those patients that do or individuals that do experience vasospasm, you often see thrombosis as well. Uh, and after those individuals present with the vasospasm, the PIVCs, generally speaking, still work, um, although um, when you try to take blood from them, and it, it can be difficult, and indeed to try and flush them, can also you can also meet resistance. But that usually spontaneously resolves within 30 minutes. So there's some there's some interesting phenomenon, you know, uh, and research questions to come forward, which might be uh, what techniques can we use um, to to limit vasospasm and improve the patency of, of catheters over time. Ah, geeking out right now. I am. I'm absolutely <laughs> geeking out right now. I'm looking up. Ramsey and I are sitting together. I'm going, wow, you must have the best job in the world. This is exciting. It's really fun. So, I mean, the other, the other things that we generally tend to do is uh, changes in practice. As I said, we might put in two catheters of the same gauge into left and right cephalic vein and then uh, investigate the impact of flushing different volumes of saline. Uh, obviously, we can't administer drugs in a preclinical uh, setting, but we can certainly flush these devices. What impact does flushing these devices in a pulsatile or non-pulsatile fashion have on uh, thrombosis and occlusion? Um, that's something that we're hoping to work on. Catheter to vein ratio, placing different catheters of different sizes and looking at whether uh, 
um, that reduces blood flow. You know, I think this is a really topical um, debate or, or piece of um, information that we're talking about. You know, Tim Spencer and his method of the vein ratio, lineal versus aerial, aerial measurements and the impact that that has on failure. I think we can do a great job of assessing that in, in a preclinical setting. Um, and then there's also, you know, different, potentially different materials, uh, different catheter types, which can also be uh, of great interest to our, our industry partners. Absolutely true. This is exciting. I can't wait to hear results of some of the trials that you're working on. And this is all part of X-Labs. Yeah, that's all part of X-Labs at this stage. And obviously that information feeds in more to sort of Amanda's work, um, which is more clinical. So, you know, our hope is that these, these experimental laboratory um, studies can provide using relatively small number of patients, we're talking less than 20 individuals normally, to feed into clinical trials and to provide sort of preliminary evidence as to whether um, a particular interventional device might have um, some benefit over another one. So then we pass and share that data uh, with our clinical collaborators uh, within Avatar, and then they can use that to move forward with greater confidence into their clinical trials um, to, um, yeah, to improve the, the likelihood of finding a, a significant effect in the clinical environment, which we know um, carries a lot more variability because of the different patient cases and, and medical care that needs to be provided. Use AIDS as well, which plays a big part in that. Yeah, so, I mean, we've been really lucky to have Andrew and his team, um, including we've had some fabulous microbiologists that we work with extensively as well, who all contribute to, you know, the first principles development you know you have to make sure your scientific theory is great and solid before you go into doing clinical studies on especially unwell our unwell children or our unwell adults so being able to you know proof of concept really get that solid before we progress in our clinical space but we also integrate our x labs into our current clinical trials so um, you know there's always uh, research questions that need to be continued to be answered um, when we're undertaking randomised control trials that can only be answered in a lab-based setting. Um, so, yeah, we've managed to incorporate them into a lot of our ongoing projects as well. So, But I suppose you guys don't know what the NHMRC even is when we talk about it. Would I be right? You would be right. In fact, I was about to ask you what that would mean. <laughs> yeah, so it's, we didn't invent that acronym. That acronym has been inflicted upon us. Yeah, otherwise it would be a word. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, exactly. Because you could say I mean, is a terrible one. (laughs) No homework. Um, You could have made it no homework, and then and then you would have gotten kids excited. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so to put it into American context, this is the major leagues of uh, funding in Australia. So it's like the NIH equivalent. So, um, uh, this is the Australian Government National Health and Medical Research Council, and this is where. Most of the um, what we consider category one funding, so the um, the large funding sources from us. So this is outside of like um, commercial industry sponsorship. This is outside of foundations or outside of um, like local hospital foundations and things. This comes directly from our Australian government. It's independent money, but it's with that it means it's highly, highly, highly competitive. So. I know that all the people listening, you're used to trying to sell vascular access to your executive as being important. So why why should they care about vascular access? Often the only thing that they care about is collapsing and everything else is meh. We right. basically get to have that conversation with the Australian government um, once, twice, three, four times a year saying vascular access is as, imp- is as important as cancer. You know, it's as important as heart disease and all the other things that you are investing in. So um, every year, Avatar goes to the Australian government for individual projects, to support individual projects, to support people, um, or to support a program of research. And we ask them to fund it so that then we can undertake those big projects. So the the big projects that you guys might have heard about before are things like the DRIP study. So that's that one where we looked at um, clinically indicated versus routine replacement of peripheral IVs. That was our first big NHMRC study that was funded quite a few years ago. So you can see how getting that independent bucket of money has made such a big change to all of our practices and the outcomes for the patient. Yeah. The other one that we've received NHMRC funding for that you know a lot about is SAVE. So that's when we were studying tissue adhesives on peripheral IV cannulas. Yes. Um, Yeah. So again, that gave us enough funding to really answer that research question well that included laboratory science as well as clinical science and knowledge translation activities. 
But what a lot of AVA don't know is a lot of our NHMRC projects aren't peripheral projects, peripheral IV cannulas, or what do we call them now? I'm trying to think of what the primary, primary. IV cannula. Primary. Yeah. Um, we actually have had even more funded in central lines than we have in peripheral. It's just that you really? probably haven't heard as much about them. I know, wow. surprise. Wow. They're just still coming. Yeah, I know. Cool. Hey. Um, just so you know, so, in my travels, uh, whenever whenever Avatar comes up, people immediately start going to OMG and that's yeah, like, exactly. And, that's and OMG key. is great. But Secret of OMG, it was funded through some great industry <laughs> donations, but mainly just a whole lot of hard work of clinicians by the bedside. It was really, and Gillian and Ray Burrell so, uh, and, and Evan, so Evan Alexandros. So it was actually funded by hard work rather than NHMRC. But, um, but yeah, so our big central line studies you may not know about as much. We did the RSVP study, which is looking at administration set changing. We have a big study on uh, PIC dressing and securement in cancer care that's still under, you know, still going ahead. We have a really large study which was funded, Andrew, what, three weeks ago, but is still yeah. under embargo and we can't tell you what it is. It's a surprise. Oh, and, um, cliffhanger. I know, you're going to have to come into it. I'm sorry about that, guys. I wanted to share that with you, but unfortunately not so much, but that's a really exciting study on PICs that should really help inform care. We've had great studies funded on um, biofilm around microbial catheter, uh, so, so the microbial composition of biofilm around all vascular access devices. Um, and then I've also been funded to, for development of a vascular, a vascular access passport for kids with complex chronic health conditions. So there are big studies happening in the background that possibly you guys don't know as much about, but um, we find them really exciting, really important, but um, hopefully we get to share them more and more over the coming years. So, Yeah, and I mean, of, of, course, of course, we're always looking for opportunities to collaborate as well. So, um, you know, if uh, clinicians or academics out there, are, uh, you know, have a really important research question that they think um, is worth addressing and, and there's an avenue to apply for, for research funding. I mean, uh, research is all about working together, right, and, and having the right tools to answer the question. So if, if anyone out there feels that they 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 need some help or they could certainly do with um, adding team members to a project to fill a gap in knowledge, um, then, you know, the Avatar group's open um, to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to broker that. Uh, anyone listening who wants to get in touch with Andrew and Amanda about doing just that, you can send an email to podcast at avainfo.org and we will very happily transfer you to them. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for talking to us today. Really, we've only just talked about a handful of our projects. I don't know how to, so we currently have over 100 active clinical pro, clinical trials, clinical projects in Avatar. So um, uh, that is a spreadsheet that you guys really don't want to see. And I certainly don't want to talk you through each But we do want to see it. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> they're all we know it. Bring it out. <laughs> We get these ideas and this inspiration is through our annual pilgrimage. We consider it a pilgrimage to the Ava Mecca. <laughs> um, and we the get Mecca. to hear what you guys are thinking about. Yeah. And we get to, um, and, and, but we want you involved from the beginning all the way through to the end. We don't want you guys to think that, um, yeah, we really want you all involved as much as possible. But Ava really is our inspiration. We should all just have pictures of you on our boards in our office, as you know, like those design inspirations of, um, you know, what we can achieve over the next few years. So, um, yeah. So if you ever see one of us at Ava, grab us. We're happy to bore you with our clinical trials that we have ongoing. Um, we, I mean, we're all really passionate about it. So yeah, you, and then you, I, you, might have, you might have to shout as a frothy or a champers, maybe. Yeah, uh, full circle. I like frothies. Well, you Andrew, remember yeah. Vegas is hot. So you're going to want to bring your budgie and we'll buy you a frothy it's literally the desert you'll need a budgie smuggler but no brelly no brelly no brelly so i get the fact that most people probably driving their car and listening to this at some point if you ever get to google australian prime minister and budgie smuggler you will see why andrew and i feel so um, mixed regarding the budgie smuggler. So there's quite some infamous pictures out there that could really frighten all of you. I can't uh, wait. HR is going to come to your offices, anyone who tries that, to see exactly what you were trying to look at on on work time. But yes. (laughs) I I realize this is the first time we've had you on our podcast, but it's not going to be the last. No, there's no way. Without a doubt. You have to come back, especially with the cliffhanger you dropped on us. I know. 
<laughs> well, uh, as, lo- as long as they don't ask us to do um, some kind of AVA debate in our budgie smugglers, so uh, we'll be back. <laughs> yeah, that's a visual. Uh, you can always have us. You know, you got the muscles for, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we all have seen Andrew uh, shirtless, but potentially wearing prosthetic uh, pectorals. <laughs> I've been working on them. He is Andrew Bulmer. She is Amanda Ullman. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, guys. This no is worries. so much fun, guys. Thank you. Right, right. Thank you for having GE Healthcare recognizes the importance of ultrasound-guided vascular access and its widespread use across many different hospital departments and settings. At GE, we recognize that clinicians encounter a variety of patients with a wide variety of problems. They also have a wide variety of users and a wide variety of risks, and often a limited amount of time to manage and treat their patients in critical settings. To help with these procedures, GE Ultrasound has developed systems, transducer technology, and SW, dedicated to improving these procedures. The latest range of venue systems are designed for critical environments being completely operated by touchscreen functions, simple to use, and with a 4-hour battery to allow quick movement to each bedside. Our needle recognition SW harnesses pattern recognition technology which seamlessly integrated with our proprietary B-Steer Plus and Cross-X Beam features to further enhance definition of needle and anatomy. We recognize that needle-guided procedures require precision. Many of our point care systems provide this always-on feature that accurately reveals the structure of a needle within anatomy without distortion of the needle. You can see the needle advance in real time with no image processing delays. By combining the technology of our systems with a wide range of transducers suitable for a broad variety of clinical settings and adding our SW needle technology, we have available ultrasound systems ready to help with any vascular access procedure. For more information, please visit www.gehealthcare.com. And we are joined by Samantha Keogh. She's a professor of nursing at Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane and a senior researcher at Avatar, as well as the current president of the Australian Vascular Access Society. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. It's a fine sunny day here in Brisbane. We've come off a scorcher of a weekend, as we call it here in Australia. Um, a scorcher. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what the weather system is treating you to there. Well, San Diego is perfect. Eric is in Ohio, so I haven't seen the sun in four days. So <laughs> I think I think um, Australia stole it. Yeah, Larceny. I think so too. So it's a scorcher and not a stinker. I just want to make sure that everyone's clear. Well, you know, I, I, I grew up with scorchers, but anyway, you know, if you had Peter on the phone, Peter Carr, he'd tell you in Irish that it's a fierce day. A fierce day. A fierce day. Ramsey, it's so fierce this summer. Fierce. <laughs> but let's not confuse the listeners with with my you know attempted Irish accent. You'll have to get Peter on to do to do his um, right yeah. without a doubt. This is the okay. Australian episode. We could do yeah. our own Peter Carr episode, but this is totally great. Look, he he could fill an hour, no problem. So Sam, this this is Judy. When we were talking to Andrew a little bit ago, he gave us yes. a few of the wonderful Australian terms that you guys use that we might not colloquialisms. There we go. Oh, uh, yes. You... A str- strine. Strine, they call it. A strine. A strine. strine. It's our language is strine, S-T-R-I-N-E. I think there's a strine dictionary. Australian. Strine? Oh. I am learning so oh, much. Me too. Okay. Yeah. okay. How about another one from you? What, what's a good... Budgie smuggler's already been taken, so we can't do budgie smuggler or no, prime ministers. Yeah, no, look, uh, look real, real, real men don't wear budgies. They wear bodies. Bodies. <laughs> Board, 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 board shorts. shorts. Board shorts. Board shorts. And what do girls wear? Uh, cozies, costumes, and that can be a one piece, a two piece, whatever works, really. It's not really descriptive. It's just cozy, just means a female's bathing yeah, suit. Yeah, we've just developed this terrible habit or, or affectionate habit, however you look, of, of kind of shortening everything. We are the, with a IEY sound or an O sound. So, yeah, so. You know, it makes everything um, cute. I like it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> well, we'll call it an affectionate linguistic um, 
a trait then. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you can have your cozies or your posy, meaning you take a position, your posies, grab a posy. <laughs> I had to explain that to Vineet and he was just blown away. So he learns a new, uh, Vineet Chopra learns a, a new Australianism every time he comes to Australia, bless him. He's very good at it. I pet koalas with him in Brisbane and he, he was quite <laughs> taken by the whole experience. You know, um, yes. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Look, the usual Barbie. Uh, mozzies, you don't want to be seen. That's another one. Mozzies, mosquitoes. In the summer yeah. when you've got a structure no. of a day and you've got to go down to the beach with your cozies and your boardy and your boogie board. Do you guys have boogie boards? Yes. We do. We do. They're called boogie boards too. That's international. Yeah. yeah. Wait, did you say mozzies for mosquitoes? Because you can't make them, like, endearing. Mosquitoes are terrible. I oh, know. That's yeah, like they're... a cartoon character. <laughs> they're mozzies, yes. Mozzie so... the mosquito. I, yeah. Now I feel guilty about about zapping them because they're, they're so cute, the mozzies. Yeah, no, look, we're, we're a slightly disturbed country because we we had um, a, uh, a, a a stuffed rabbit that presented children's programs and it was called Mixie. <laughs> Mixie the rabbit. Mixomatosis kills rabbits. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. That's horrible. We, we have a, we have a, um, a, a black sense of humour. <laughs> I mean, it's a children's show. That is awesome. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I, res, I respect <laughs> the dark humor, but uh, I imagine it went completely over the heads of the primary. I viewing. think we have to pick our crowd, and and you guys, you guys have your own good humor, and I think that's why I've always felt welcome uh, at um, Ava meetings and, and and in the US with you guys. We get you, and you and you get us, Sam. Absolutely. And the uh, let's, let's talk. Let's... The United Nations. We should just stand in. The, it, it is worth aligning our time zone so we can talk live. That's how much respect and affection we have for the, for the Australian Basketball exactly. Access Society. The, um, you are having a significant event coming up in May. Um, you want to talk a little bit about the AVAS in, in Sydney? Yes, and it's probably good timing. I think the website and everything, the call for abstract and, our, our, and the, will go live this week. So we'll be able to share that with you. Um, and so uh, the Australian Vascular Access Society will have its third national scientific meeting and we're coming back to the East Coast and it'll be in Sydney, May 12th to 14th. It coincides with International Nurses Day, though, of course, the meeting is multidisciplinary. And the theme uh, for the 2019 meeting is Walk the Line. Anthony Marshall from Sydney and all his team there, including Ellen and Nick Iacopetti and several others, are on the convening committee. And Walk the Line really talks about the, the balancing act that clinicians and researchers have trying to deliver the best care to their patients, you know, and how do you reconcile good evidence with good practice and the resources both in people and products that we have. And I guess within that you can interpret, obviously, there's the literal, the line, and the importance of the line. Um, um, and also, uh, you know, walk the talk, talk the walk, walk the line. So walk the line, um, and I dare say a few uh, songs um, will be, uh, <laughs> will, yeah, you know, the black will be mandatory. <laughs> the Johnny Cash song. Totally, yeah. totally. Johnny Cash will song be Song I was thinking of. Yep. So, so um, May 12th to the 14th in Sydney. Yeah, May 12th to the 14th in Sydney. So we've got a, um, an excellent day of pre-con, uh, pre-meeting workshops on the Sunday and then the conference proper starts on the Monday, Tuesday. And as I said, the website will go live, call for abstracts, and our speakers um, announced and everything this week. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. Um, after Perth, we made the decision to go every other year to complement our Kiwi brothers and sisters. So they had their meeting over in Rotorua uh, earlier this year and we'll have ours on the odd year. So that way we're collaborating and not competing with each other in the vascular access space. Right. And for the American listeners, that's uh, a town in New Zealand and that conference was in March of this year. Um, yes. So I had to do some translation there, Sam. No one knows what Rotorua is. Oh, right. pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few. There's the, a few. And, and so you, you're currently running AVAS, but you're also you know, heavily involved in, in Avatar. Uh, there's going to be a significant yes, avatar presence to say the least at, at AVAS, correct? Avatar, I'm just so proud and privileged to be part of Avatar. I completed a five-year fellowship with Claire and the team at Griffith University 
um, and then was lucky enough to get a full-time appointment at uh, QUT. But they're very supportive of the Avatar group broadly and, you know, the family of Avatar. It reaches far and wide. So uh, people work at many different institutions. So very much still work for and with uh, the Avatar team on making vascular access complications history. So, um, yeah, still working on work with them. Uh, anything. Um, so really, yes, being a big family that we are, if other people want to connect and communicate and collaborate with Avatar, then they just really need to get in touch with Claire or any other of the senior researchers. Um, and we can talk through what their clinical or research issue is. And we may have already tackled something and it may be that you can take some of our tools or protocols and replicate them in your setting. Or maybe uh, you want to become a site on a trial. Um, or maybe it's a whole new issue, you know, it's a whole uh, green pastures and it's something we can troubleshoot together. Yeah, and as we said uh, earlier when we were talking to uh, Amanda and, and Andrew, if you'd like to get more involved with Avatar, uh, Ava's happy to broker that conversation. Just send a message to podcast at avainfo.org and we can get uh, you connected with Sam, with Amanda, with Andrew, with the Avatar team. We, we, they're indispensable to what the Ava does, and, and we love everything that they're doing in Australia. Um, one last thing before we, we let you go, Sam. Um, Brisbane and then Perth and now Sydney. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of AVAS over the, coming into this, this next conference from the last two as you go to a, a biannual um, arrangement with, with New Zealand? What, uh, what can people who come to Sydney expect uh, if they've been to, to Perth or to Perth has been the previous conferences, what, what's going to be different about what you've done historically? Well, we do have a few new speakers and I'll let the website um, announce them. But I guess central to what we do is always the patient. And I think we're really um, symbiotic in that at AVA as well, in that what we're doing isn't just about us as practitioners. Right. Uh, in fact, I do remember one of the speakers at your conference talking about how we are all patients or potential patients. So in some ways we're not making it so much different as extending extending um, the theme and the messages that we've developed over the last two conferences. And so our keynote, opening keynote speaker will be um, a consumer. So we continue to make sure that the patient, the consumer, is at the forefront and the centre of what we try and do um, because they're the people that... Uh, they live it every day with their vascular access device in some way, whether that's many patients or one patient continuously. So we're opening our conference with a very strong uh, consumer talk delivered by a consumer. And then we have, as ever, a mixture of frontline clinicians talking about the issues that they face every day and how they partner sometimes with other clinicians and other researchers to troubleshoot and tackle those. And then we have researchers who obviously have their skill set, but we clearly can't progress our work or our problems or help understand them if we don't partner with the clinicians. So it's really con continuing to extend the consumer being at the centre of what we do and why we do it and uh, to strengthen and share uh, the outcomes of the partnerships between researchers and clinicians. So hopefully the outcomes are real and meaningful and have value and therefore will get implemented uh, into practice and achieve the desired outcomes better. So perhaps not so much new as just strengthening and extending the themes that we've developed before and we feel are pertinent to helping us promote the safety and excellence of vascular access. It's reverberating globally. Where I saw you in Wakoba. This, uh, earlier this year, the, the patient patient first, I think, was the theme. And as you mentioned, uh, Ava had a very in-depth and, and, and daunting patient experience as our keynote this year in Columbus. And you're continuing that uh, that messaging with the patient as the North Star at AVAS coming up in May of 2019. So uh, applaud you and excited to go. It's been, gosh, two months since I've been to Sydney. Looking forward to going back. Yes, congratulations on your Columbus meeting. Um, I heard it was fabulous. I was sorry not to attend. Sometimes uh, as researchers you're caught up in the work because you've got to have something to talk about. I needed to work on new material. <laughs> we 
We, we but, missed you. Avatar was well represented. I got to meet Juliet and she was great. And, yeah, uh, so I know there were definitely other people from AVAS and Avatar there who spoke very highly of the meeting and had lots of energy and lots of positivity, but also highlighted the challenges that continue uh, to face us. So uh, our work is not done here, but it, as you say, it's so good to see that uh, serendipitously we are all working towards this one goal and that the patient is at the forefront of that. Absolutely. Well, we hope to see you in Vegas. Are you going to yes. make it perfect? <laughs> yes. Totally. And, we'll, and I'll bring my coffee, okay? Bring your coffee, but you won't need a brelly. You won't need a brelly. No, no, I won't need a brelly. No, no, no. No, unless you're fair-skinned, because you can get burnt out there pretty well in your fuzzy. Yeah, Very you can good. get sunburned, yeah. It can't be. It should be a great show, though. I'll be wearing my 40s. 40s? Your 40s. Your 40s. Not, 40s. not your budgies. No, not your budgies. 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 Can you have a beach party theme for your, for your, you know, opening? How fun would that be? We need to get started. Everyone wears their body. Oh, rashy. If you don't want to get burned, you wear a rashy. Rashy. Oh, a rash guard. A rash guard. That's a sun, a rash guard, a sun vest. So we can all wear, we can all turn up in bodies, rashies, zinc. We can have Ava rashies. All that makes sense to me. Rashy sounds like a communicable disease, though. Well, Sam, this has been great. It's always fun. You'll have to do a glossary of terms with this podcast by the time we've all been. We'll have a a, a, a tertiary episode where we just define everything that we said. I think we'll have to. Yeah, she is Sam Keogh, professor of nursing at QUT, and so much more, Avatar and the president of AMS. Sam, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Look, thanks for having us on your podcast. It's such a great initiative and it really brings us all together. So much fun. We love you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Francie. You can see the entire AVA network calendar on the AVA website at www.avainfo.org, which is also where you can join AVA or donate to the AVA Foundation. AVA is all over social media. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. Make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thank you again to our episode sponsors, GE and Timer Tags, plus our series of fabulous guests from Avatar, Amanda Ullman, Julian Ray Barul, Claire Ricard, Samantha Keogh, Nicole Marsh, and Andrew Bulmer. If you'd like to hear a full interview with Claire, Julian, Amanda, and Nicole, please visit avainfo.org slash podcast. Thanks as always to Dabney Coleman, and thank you for listening. The information discussed on the I Save That podcast is solely for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of clinicians before making any decisions that affect your health or the health of your patients. Listeners of this podcast are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal is to inform and entertain the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with your own clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the hosts, our guests, our sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health, your career, or any decision you make related to any of the information that we have presented. The I Save That podcast contains segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the fair use doctrine as cited in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have any specific concerns about this video or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at podcast at avainfo.org. No part of this broadcast shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in part or in any form without prior written consent of the Association for Vascular Access.